worshiping together this morning, please join me in your Bible or Bible apps as we receive these words from the 23rd Psalm, starting in the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, receive these words taken from the Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning in the 35th verse. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Then the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and that great ones are tyrants. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave for all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, you do hold us in your goodness. We receive all we need from you. And yet, like the disciples of old, we strive and want things that are not ours to hold. So in this moment, God, call us back to yourself. Let us remember the goodness in which we dwell that we have enough. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts together honor and glorify you, for you and you alone, O God, are our strength, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. One morning long ago, in the quiet of the world, when there was less noise and more green. That's part of an opening line of J.R.R. Tolkien's book, who knows which book? The Hobbit, I heard that, somebody. Then the winner goes, is, yeah, right, we got it. One morning long ago, in the quiet of the world, 
when there was less noise and more green. This line from The Hobbit has inspired a refrain in the Gaines-Sorelli household over many years that is invoked like a prayer or a prophetic rebuke (laughs) in moments when the surroundings are harsh or grating on the nerves. More green, less noise (laughs) is that refrain. I suppose one could say it's nostalgic or naive. But regardless of that, it is what I so often desire. More green, less noise. And so I love the line from Psalm 23 that is our focus today as we journey line by line through this beloved psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. The landscape traversed by the Hebrew people from which the psalm emerged is diverse from rocky desert to mountain to sea coast. And there are lovely broad valleys and places where green spreads out like a blanket. The good shepherd knows the terrain knows when and where we need to be guided from one place to another and chooses to bring us to green pastures and still waters. Rabbi Harold Kushner begins his reflection on verse two by telling an amusing story of a boy who asks his father, why is the sky blue and the grass green? It's a long story, so I'm not gonna tell the whole thing. But Kushner basically goes on to, uh, to point out Uh, that there is actually an answer we can give. Now, some in our congregation will be able to give a very scientific answer to exactly why the sky is blue and the grass is green. I am very clear about that. But Kushner doesn't go there. Instead, he focuses on the theological answer. And he suggests that, really, the sky is blue and the grass is green because God made a world God knew we needed. Not just a world that produces sustenance for our bodies, but a world that provides suitable habitats for different creatures, a world that provides delight and comfort. But what does blue and green have to do with that? Well, he goes on to talk about colors and how different colors evoke different emotional responses. And I quote here, remember that light is a form of energy, he says. Light reaches our eyes in waves of different frequencies per second, creating different levels of intensity for bright colors, red and yellow. The waves are longer and hit the eye with more strength even as taller, longer ocean waves hit us more forcefully. 
Darker colors, the blues and the greens, emit shorter waves and strike the eye more gently. And then Kushner makes the observation, God has colored the world in predominantly calming colors. Blue sky, green leaves, blue-green water, brown trees, colors that calm rather than excite. There are moments when the colors excite. I'm getting ready to go up north to New England to see some trees, and they better be colored brightly or I'm going to be disappointed. But we know that overall, predominantly, the colors of creation are calming colors. And of course, for our siblings who don't see colors, there are other aspects of creation that are similarly delightful and calming. The feeling of a breeze or a warm body snuggled up next to us. The sounds of birds, a purring cat, water flowing, the rustle of leaves, the smells of fresh cut grass and wet earth and flowers and wood smoke. We know that elements of our planet can be harsh and dangerous as well, but there's a reason that people yearn to be outside in nature any nature. (laughs) I remember uh, when I lived in New York City for a brief time after a long, cold winter, the first day that was relatively sunny and warm, I took a walk. And I will never forget, I was astonished to see that Central Park's sheep meadow, you may know the one I'm talking about, was literally covered with people. You could barely see the green of the pasture for all the people. God made a world God knew we needed. And have you ever noticed that line in the Psalm, the Lord makes me lie down? Did you ever notice that? I never noticed that until this week. The Lord makes me lie down. I think I've always thought of verse two as mostly about food and water. As a shepherd leading the sheep to pastures and streams for nourishment of the body. But what I've come to appreciate is that it's not only that God has created a beautiful planet to nourish us with food, but also to help us rest. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? To find calm in what can be the stormy waters of life. One translation of verse two that I found in love reads, You let me rest in fields of green grass. You lead me to streams of peaceful water. Many poets and other writers have have the created world as their focus, their primary inspiration and study. 
One of those is Wendell Berry. Many of you will know Wendell Berry, the farmer, poet, philosopher, and prophet. Berry writes these words in his poem, The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. God has given us this beautiful creation not only as a source of food, as raw materials to consume, to manipulate, but as a doorway into rest, delight, grace, and peace. Several things converge around this Sunday, this day, when it just so happened that these lines were the lines from Psalm 23 that were on the docket for reflection. I did not plan it this way. Another sign of spirit doing what she does. But so today we got several things converging. October the 4th is of course the traditional feast of St. Francis. Uh, known for love of animals and of all creation. So October, sort of beginning of October, is always sort of a St. Francis vibe. Then you've got um, what many of us may have on our minds. Um, Climate and environmental justice legislation is the centerpiece of current debates in Congress. Lord have mercy. And preparations are underway for a UN climate change conference that's happening in Glasgow. You may have seen that. Um, in the first couple of weeks of November. Now, all of this is happening right now. And some would say, well, why are you bringing that up in church? Because, you know, there are a lot of people still, believe it or not, there are some who fail to see any connection between Christian faith and the planet. Between Christian faith and the climate crisis. I remember back in 2015 when Pope Francis was catching all kinds of grief for his green agenda. Do y'all remember that? Some of those who were opposed to the Pope's environmental justice advocacy believed that climate change, this was a quote from somebody, that climate change is being overhyped or that human activity is not a factor and that remedies may do more harm than good. Others simply believe that Francis should not weigh in on issues that touch on technical and scientific matters that some contend are still debatable. Of course, 
The fiercest debates around environmental issues often come to a head when there's a lot of money to be made or when jobs are part of the conversation. I have had conversations with close family members. Let us all remember, where do I come from? I come from Oklahoma and Texas. I have had conversations with close family members who argue that careful engineering and maintenance of things like offshore drilling and fracking are not necessarily bad for the planet, but rather it's only when companies try to do things on the cheap or without care that harm is done. My goal is to keep an open mind and try to see things from a variety of perspectives, and I know that my family members and others like them want to care for creation, even as they advocate for practices such as those I just mentioned. But when we add up those things, together with mountaintop removal coal mining, deforestation, polluted groundwater, loss of wetlands, greenhouse gas production, paving everything in sight, and Lord knows what else, I can't help but think that we are collectively being driven first and foremost not by a balanced sense of forward-looking stewardship of both human and environmental needs, but by the short-term money to be made from coal, development, oil, agribusiness, and more. There are folks here today who have much more nuanced and complete understanding of the environmental, economic, social, and political issues involved in all of this than I do. I am not claiming to be an expert, trust me. But I simply want to remind us of a very simple truth. Regardless about your views on particular practices, our Judeo-Christian faith specifically calls us to a deep, intentional connection with all of creation. In his focus on environmental stewardship, Pope Francis is not, as one particularly mean-spirited writer suggests, being a, quote, ideologue and meddlesome egoist. He's being a Christian. Christians are not only called to be caretakers of the world, it's earth, air, water, and creatures, we're also reminded that we are ourselves part of the creation. God has created a beautiful world to provide for all that we need, body and soul, and has given us as the human creature everything we need to play a part and a role in tending it and mending it. The Christian understanding is not different from the Native American wisdom that we see in Chief Seattle's words, quote, humankind has not woven the web of life, we are but one thread within it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. 
we do to ourselves. All things are bound together. All things connect. The truth is that the human creature has harmed the web. (laughs) We know this. God has given us green pastures and still waters, but as we have seen, droughts dry up the pastures. Waters rise and overwhelm as a result of our collective lack of care. We cannot assume that green pastures and still waters will always be there. Last week, Foundry Board President Todd Mullins mentioned that environmental justice is part of our vision and our agenda as we look to 2022. That is, by the way, an intersectional piece of work, environmental justice. And of course, for us here at Foundry, environmental work and advocacy is not new. We have solar panels. We have a rainwater garden, we recycle, we've drastically reduced single-use plastic and paper consumption, but we are committed to taking things to another level of sustainability through projects right here in this, as Pastor Don used to call it, this old barn. We're working on consciousness raising for practices in our personal lives and will, of course, be engaged in advocacy in the public square. More green, less noise. With God's help and our shared commitment and generosity, we will do our part in mending and sustaining and sharing and enjoying the gifts of green pastures and still waters so that all might be nourished by the good gifts of creation, so that all may rest in the grace of the world and be free. Mm